you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. People Magazine announced yesterday that it is named actor Patrick Dempsey the sexiest man alive. Huh. You guys know we were only supposed to set our clocks back one hour, right? From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. On today's show, Seth talks to journalist Rachel Maddow. But first, a closer look. Republicans have been wallowing after yet another string of defeats in key battleground states on Tuesday as the frontrunner for their party's presidential nomination, Donald Trump, faced more legal trouble with his daughter, Ivanka, taking the stand in their New York fraud trial. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, arrived at the Manhattan courthouse today and took the witness stand in the Trump company's civil fraud trial, a scenario Trump was reportedly desperate to avoid, I'm assuming because Ivanka is, in his eyes, the most competent and thus most knowledgeable member of the family. There's no way Trump trusted his two bearded oblong bozos with any <laughs> real information, but Ivanka could get him in trouble because while Don Jr. was in the woods posing for the cover of his country folk Christmas album and... Eric was in Brazil having his gums lowered. I'm willing to bet Ivanka was in the room for everything. For example, maybe she could explain what the hell her father was talking about on Monday when he pulled out a piece of paper during his testimony and said it would clear his name. Hours into his testimony, Trump attempted to read from a piece of paper he retrieved from his pocket. I'd love to read this, Your Honor, if I could. Am I allowed to do that, Trump asked. When the judge said no, Trump muttered, I'm shocked, I'm shocked. So. <laughs> On top of everything else, Donald Trump has never seen an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> Your Honor, may I present non-submitted evidence from the witness stand? Do whatever you want. Courtrooms are famously loose with the rules. In fact, if you, if I ever say anything you don't like, feel free to object to me. <laughs> I'm honestly dying to know what that document was because it was no doubt incredibly stupid. <laughs> Your Honor, I have in my possession the fortune from a cookie <laughs> obtained last night in Mr. Chang's on 58th Street. It reads as follows. <clears throat> what you believe you can make true, I accept your apology. <laughs> I accept, and I believe I'm free to go. 
Honestly, I'm just shocked Trump didn't pull out some of the courtroom sketches that have been released so we could complain about them. Trump's former press secretary called one particular sketch of Trump a travesty and said it looks nothing like him. Now, I'll admit, it doesn't look a ton. <laughs> it don't look a ton like Trump until you widen out and see the hands. <laughs> they nailed the hands. <laughs> By the way, the same artist who drew that sketch also did one of El Chapo, and yet somehow, a guy who shares a courtroom sketch artist with a notorious drug kingpin remains the GOP frontrunner for president. <laughs> in fact, recent polls suggest he's in a dead heat with Joe Biden. So Democrats are stealing themselves for some big losses on Tuesday in several key bellwether states like Virginia. I know a clip package is coming, so let's just get it over with. The polling is awful. I'm sure Democrats got crushed. Just hit me with the bad news so I can go sulk. Overnight, Democrats celebrating a series of key victories. Big wins for Democrats and for abortion rights. In Ohio, voters have decided overwhelmingly to make abortion a right under the state constitution. In Virginia, CNN projects Democrats will gain full control of the state legislature. Meanwhile, in Kentucky, it was Democratic Governor Andy Bashir defeating the state's Republican Attorney General, General Daniel Cameron, who had been backed by former President Donald Trump. Well, allow me to quote the great Edward R. Murrow and say, what the f is going on? <laughs> You're telling me Biden is losing to Trump in the polls, but a Democrat just won re-election against a Trump-backed candidate in Kentucky. You're telling me Trump, the guy who stocked the Supreme Court with 80s movie villains with the explicit goal of overturning Roe v. Wade, is leading the polls in Ohio, where voters just overwhelmingly approved a ballot measure to protect abortion rights? This Makes so little sense. Even Steve Kornacki's big board last night said, I give up. <laughs> One thing's for sure, standing up for abortion rights and bodily autonomy wins elections. Voters are clearly furious about losing Roe, and in even supposedly red states like Kentucky and Ohio, they've been turning out large numbers to protect reproductive rights. Ohio is the seventh state to enshrine abortion rights through a ballot initiative since Roe was overturned. And that includes battleground states like Michigan, and even Deep red states like Kansas. Abortion was also very much on the ballot in Virginia, where the Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, was hoping to win full control of the state legislature so he could pass a 15-week abortion ban. Although you might not know that from this Fox News interview he did on Election Day. Welcome to Virginia. It's Election Day, and we are going to hold our house and flip our Senate. Ever since uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, Republicans have lost most of those elections. How is today going to be different? Well, let me just begin with the fact that the biggest issue across the Commonwealth of Virginia, I hear it every day, we've had 100 campaign stops, I hear it every day, is inflation sure. and jobs and concerns about what Biden is doing to our economy. It's so telling that these guys spent 50 years laser-focused on their number one goal of overturning abortion rights, and then as soon as they do it, not only do they not brag about it, they'd rather talk about literally anything else. So what's your position on abortion? Well, I think, first of all, we have to talk about jobs. My question was about abortion. Then, of course, we need to talk about inflation. Okay, but what about abortion? And then, of course, what we really need to focus on is Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm asking about abortion, and I will get to that. But first, what do you think of my shiny red vest? <laughs> I stole it off a of Carnival Cruise. <laughs> it was also evident in the way they were coping last night that Republicans are having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that their position on abortion is deeply unpopular with the majority of voters. Here's Fox host Sean Hannity trying to wrap his brain around why the issue keeps hurting Republicans. Democrats right. are trying to scare women into thinking Republicans right. don't want abortion legal under any circumstances. First of all, if Democrats were trying to scare people, they would just show them this courtroom sketch. 
But yeah, I wonder where voters could possibly have gotten the notion that Republicans want to outlaw abortion, aside from all the GOP-led states that have outlawed abortion, or the GOP politicians who say they want to outlaw abortion, or the new Speaker of the House who sponsored a bill to outlaw abortion, and who's so conservative, and this is real, he said last year, that he and his 17-year-old son monitor each other's porn intake. That's real. He said that. They apparently use an app that sends each other a report when they look at porn so they can hold each other accountable. Can you imagine knowing in real time when your dad is watching porn? The only thing I want to hear from my dad on the phone is, hold on, your mother wants to say hi. Also, how can you, sir, use an app to monitor porn when your name sounds like a porn actor's name? For example, the other day, I wanted to learn more about his extreme right-wing position, so I Googled the words Johnson Exposed, and let's just say the notifications on the porn monitoring app my dad made me install were blowing up. He called me right away, and I said, I was working on a closer look, and then he said, you should take a closer look at your priorities. Although it is fun to imagine what it would have been like if Joe Biden had that app on his phone with his son, Hunter just mid-press conference. Hold on a sec, my phone is buzzing. Oh, 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 dear God, Hunter. Dear God, Hunter, get a hold of yourself, man. Keep it on the laptop, buddy. Anyway, where were Oh, yeah, so Republicans were wallowing last night. In fact, they were so bummed that over on Newsmax, former GOP senator and presidential candidate Rick Santorum was complaining about the fact that Democrats sponsored ballot initiatives to legalize marijuana and enshrine abortion rights. We've seen this now for the last several years. And so a base election, they, uh, Democrats outspend, and you put very sexy things like abortion and marijuana on the ballot, and a lot of young people come out and vote. Ooh la la. <laughs> Abortion and marijuana are sexy now? That's so weird to hear coming from international sex symbol Rick Santorum. <laughs> you think marijuana is sexy? Look, by the time Ohio is cool with anything, it's not sexy anymore. <laughs> marijuana is for 50-year-olds at a Dead & Company concert. Marijuana <laughs> is so tame compared to what teens are into these days. If Rick Santorum ever watched so much as five minutes of Euphoria, he'd come out looking like Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I mean, that's what I look like after I watch one episode of Euphoria. Is this what teens are really like? What's clear is that the GOP's various culture war obsessions and hostility to democracy are turning off voters. That doesn't mean Democrats should feel comfortable. Trump, as we've said before, can still easily win. Unless, you know, he ends up in jail, which I have to say would be... Very sexy. This <laughs> better closer look. Hey everybody, thanks for watching A Closer Look. And as a reminder, my brother Josh and I have started a new podcast called Family Trips with the Myers Brothers. We hope you listen, we hope you like it, and see you soon. Our guest tonight is a number one New York Times bestselling author and the Emmy-winning host of The Rachel Maddow Show, which airs Monday nights at nine on MSNBC. Her book, Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism, is on sale now. Please welcome back to the show, our friend Rachel Maddow, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Thank you are a very busy person. Yes. But you are only doing your show on Monday now. And I'm wondering, 
how you process the news on Tuesday through Friday, because I find it very cathartic to have the show to talk about it. Ah, so yes, the way that my life has changed is that I no longer compartmentalize. Uh -huh. Used to be that I get up in the morning and work all day and then do the show and stop. Now, because there isn't a show Tuesday through Friday, I never stop working, and I work through the weekend, and I never sleep. So, it's awesome. So anybody yeah. who's like, God, she has the best life in the world. She only works one day a week. That is patently untrue. So my girlfriend sees me less now than she did when I was on five days a week, and she is mad. Okay. Yes. Well, certainly it does seem like you pulled a fast one. Yes, yeah. exactly. Everybody's mad at me. I'm not on five days a week, <laughs> and I work all the time, and I'm I'm grinding myself into dust. Well, it's I'm perfect. very happy. You look great today. That's Thank the important you. thing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. you uh, we were, I want to talk real briefly before we move on to the book. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of reporting on these early polls that the New York Times did. Uh, Biden behind in a lot of battlegrounds yeah. states. Uh, too early to be concerned if you're the Biden camp or maybe uh, ring the alarm bells. If you work in politics and your job right now is working on the Biden campaign, it is never too early to be concerned. Yes. I feel like they should absolutely panic and also be cognizant of the fact that it is a year out. And like, if you look at Barack Obama a year out from his reelection effort, he was in basically exactly the same position and then handled Mitt Romney very easily when the election came around. So there's sort of reason to chill and reason to panic, and I think they should do both. Just like a mix of chill and panic. Yes, yeah. basically my work life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it does, an interesting thing in the polling is that a conviction against Donald Trump seems to tip some people maybe in the middle against him that are willing yes. to support him uh, based on being indicted uh, four different times and this major civil trial. But if he gets convicted, that's too much. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like 91 felony criminal charges. You're like, man, nah, means nothing to me. Yeah. But, but I like that they're those. like, yeah. They're like, if one jury, if 12 <laughs> other people decide, I'm willing to go with them. On one of the 91 counts, yeah, exactly. flip me. Yeah, I don't know. But that's, that was the finding in that same New York Times poll that freaked everybody out, who was a Biden supporter as of this weekend. They did five of the six swing states had Trump leading, but all six of them basically flipped if Trump is hypothetically convicted of even one of those 91 felonies. So I sort of feel like the one thing that teaches us is that these polls mean nothing. Yeah. And it's time to work very, very hard if you want your chosen candidate to get elected. Yes, and you're right. A year out, a lot can change. Yeah. Um, this is a fascinating book. Thank this you. is a true story. Yeah. And it is one of those true stories that you cannot believe uh, has, was not taught in school or that you haven't just heard from like word of mouth. This is about um, basically a, a fascist effort to overthrow uh, the United States government, uh, uh, people working for Adolf Hitler uh, within elected officials here uh, in this country. How much about this story did you know? What, like, what led you down the, the road to even write it? I knew like the tiniest little bit of this, and I was kind of looking into something else. I was looking into anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial and this other stuff in American history and other times when we've had real problems with that. And I just stumbled into this story of the 40s, and of the 30s and 40s, where there were Americans who were not only not wanting us to fight against the Nazis in World War II, they wanted us to side with the Nazis. Some a significant number of Americans were working for the Germans, and there were two dozen members of Congress and U.S. senators who were involved in a plot with a Nazi agent to do propaganda work for the Nazis in this country using Congress. And it's crazy to me that we didn't know that I didn't know it 
It's even crazier that when they were all put on trial for sedition, there was a mistrial. The judge died in the middle of the trial, and that's how they all got off. Wow. <laughs> yes, I know. Now, do you feel like these stories are not taught because we like the image of America as a country that just fought against the Nazis from beginning to end, and, and at no point did anybody here say, well, you know what, I kind of like what they're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an easier, more comfortable story. It's you know, one of the moral cornerstones of who we are as a country, that we were the good guys and the Nazis were the bad guys and we went over there and fought them and beat them and made that go away. It is a less comfortable story, but also true, that there were lots of Americans here who wanted us, if we were gonna fight that war at all, to fight on the other side. And so, to me, it's scary because that's a hard thing to know about your own country, but it's also kind of heartening because we know that they didn't win. And there's all these incredible stories about smart, cool, brave, funny Americans who fought against them and who made sure that they didn't get their way and who prosecuted them and exposed them and infiltrated them and spied on them. And um, those stories about Americans who are anti-fascists in the lead up to World War II, those, those are the heroes of the book and they're amazing. You mentioned that you uh, were doing research about anti-Semitism, which sort of led you to this story. Yeah. Obviously, anti-Semitism has been on the rise in recent years, of uh, last month uh, through the roof. Yeah. What have you learned about, or what did you learn about anti-Semitism from researching this story? Thank you for asking that. It's been a really interesting just thing for me personally. I, I'm, I feel like the thing that I have come to understand by looking at the way it operated in other time periods, not just looking at it in other countries, but looking at it in our own country, is that when people are telling you something about a minority group not, that, that says they're not just bad, they're not just things about them that you shouldn't like, but they're evil, that they are secretly powerful, that they're the reason things are bad, that sort of toxic conspiracy theory about a minority group has a purpose. It is always to make us think that we shouldn't be in a, in a democracy. Because right, a democracy is that we all decide things together. That's the basic idea of it. You have to put a seed in people's mind that there are some people among us who aren't just bad, they're dangerous, and they're out to get us, and we need to be protected from them. And therefore, we can't have a democracy, because we can't have those people voting too, and we need, we need a government that's gonna protect us from those dangerous people. That's the purpose of those, not just stereotypes, but those dangerous conspiracy theories about disfavored minority groups. And that form of anti-Semitism is part of fascism. It's part of authoritarianism. It's part of trying to make us give up our democracy. And it's evil and it's pernicious and it keeps repeating itself and it ought to be a big red flag to all of us. It's not just about hating people. It's about getting to, to undo democracy and we shouldn't stand for it. Uh, very well said and it's a really uh, wonderful book. Thank you. To bring those issues out. I, I do wanna ask, cause you've reported on, on uh, the military over your career. Uh, it's something uh, you know a lot about. So obviously right now, you know, uh, President Biden is urging Israel to limit civilian casualties, yeah. also uh, proposing and wanting to send aid, uh, military aid to Israel. It feels like he's probably also just trying to keep the top on what could be an escalating conflict. Do you feel like, because it does seem like a lot of what he's doing might, from a distance, seem to be in conflict one, with one another. Like, how do you perceive it? I mean, the thing that I have studied and, and written another book about is the relationship between our politics and like our political system and our use of the military. 
And I feel like we're having another crisis around that right now because like one of the things that's happening, the reason we've got two aircraft carrier strike groups there and, and nuclear powered submarines and all, the, all this huge amount of force that we're sending to the Middle East is not because we're saying, oh, we're gonna put the US military in a frontline war here. It's because we've already got so many American troops in the Middle East, in Iraq, in Syria, and they're actually getting attacked. Our troops that are deployed right now in the Middle East are getting attacked in some of the furor that is erupting in the Middle East over the conflict in Israel and Palestine. And the fact that we just don't ever talk about that, that we've got all these troops out there and we don't think about where they are, means that we're kind of ignorant about having a smart debate about that in the country and we're sort of ignorant about those policy decisions that have to get made. Similarly, with our support of Israel militarily, like we just don't talk that much in our politics. In all, of all the things we fight about in this country, we don't talk that much about where our military is deployed, how we're using military force, and how our weapons are being used around the world. And so when it becomes a huge international controversy, we're just ill-equipped to fight well about it from good faith positions. And I think we suffer from not having politics that is connected to our use of military force. It's seen as something that just happens on its own, or we ought to be arguing about it all the time. Well, uh, you've always helped us have smarter conversations, so thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you, to Seth. assist once again. Thank this you. is Rachel Motto, everybody. Prequel, available now. Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HE Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.